Let's open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptised unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Excuse me. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So whenever there's a scripture, and it happens a couple of times, particularly in Paul's writings, where it says, I'll have you not be ignorant. It's like, ding, what do we need to know? There's something fundamental that Paul wants people to understand, wants uh, God's chosen people to understand. And so he goes on and uh, explains that uh, this type of when the nation of Israel says we're all, that's referring to God's chosen people in the Old Testament, uh, that were following Moses, they were baptised in the cloud and in the sea. So in the cloud, was as they were walking through the wilderness, they were guided by day, by the cloud, so it was a type. Um, So this aspect of uh, baptism in the Old Testament um, in the cloud and in the sea. So I'll be talking about, I think the best title is Immersion, okay? So he says, I would not, I would not that you should be ignorant. So to understand what baptism is and this aspect of immersion is what I'll talk about today. So we'll go back. There are two examples of when the nation of Israel went through uh, the sea. Uh, One of them was actually the sea. The other one was the river. But let's go to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. And this is the second book in the Bible. This book, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, when we, uh, there was that, Um, video about the Pharisees and Sadducees. This was um, held in high regard by both the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they read it over and over and over again, this story. So way back here, uh, thousands of years ago, this is the example that uh, Paul was referring to. So Exodus 14, and we'll start in uh, verse 13. A bit of reading here, but just to get that full picture. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians, whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over, over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I'll get me honour upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord 
when I have gotten me honour upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, or the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry ground, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning, in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of the fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of the Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels, that they drave them heavily. So that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians and upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. So we understand the story. It's, uh, we've understood it from for when we were children. We've heard of this story. And the thing is, there was a land passage through to Palestine from Egypt. Uh, the Suez Canal goes through there. But the Lord led them through here so that he could show them something wonderful and they went and walked through the Red Sea. Now it says here that um, he made the, the sea stand as a wall on the left and the right side. And the reason I read right through was to show that the depth of that water was such that the Egyptians drowned. So the talk today is about immersion. So this baptism that um, Paul was referring to was such an immersion that people could drown. Okay? And, uh, and the Egyptians did. Uh, the Israelites were protected. They walked through, and this massive wall on either side was seen in movies, that uh, artistic depiction. They walked on dry ground. They were protected of the Lord. But there was a lot of water there. For completeness, we'll go to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 14. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 14. And it says, And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, 
and the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the Ark were dipped into the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan. And all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. And we'll just go to chapter 4 and verse 10. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until everything was finished. That the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for, for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony, that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place, and flowed over all his banks, as they did before. So, again, a lot of water. The river Jordan was in flood, overflowed its banks, time of harvest, as it always did. And the Lord miraculously made that stop again as a wall, as a wall so that um, the nation of Israel could walk over. And now it says here that they hasted over, they ran. Um, now, I was thinking about this, was this is a type of baptism. Now, as far as we know, and we don't know everyone, but what we gather from the scriptures, there are only two people who had both baptisms, and that was Caleb and Joshua, because both of them walked out of Egypt and both of them walked into Palestine. It appears that everyone else died in the wilderness, including Moses. So it's almost like this is a whole new nation of people. <laughs> And, uh, and so they got baptised again as they entered the promised land where they could rest, theoretically, uh, in, the, in the type. And uh, so all this water there, and the reason I, the bit that I skipped, there was uh, a bit of time taken up where there was a pile of rocks that needed to be put there. So the Israelites hasted across, but then the priests still had to stand there and wait <laughs> while rocks were piled up in the middle of Jordan. But the Lord was true to his word. He held the water back. But then when the priests left and were on the dry ground, it all flooded back. Enough to drown people. That's how much water it was. 
Matthew chapter 3. And we know it's a type. We know it's a schoolmaster of things to come. Matthew chapter 3. And this is the baptism of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty, um, oh, I don't know what the right word is. Um, without the revelation that Paul had, it'd be pretty hard to, to draw that connection of baptism uh, with the, um, the Old Testament type. So that's another aspect of why uh, John the Baptist needed to come, come along and introduce baptism, a personal baptism. We had that national baptism. John the Baptist is here. Uh, he, he would have acted uh, under revelation as well, uh, sure of himself, understanding what uh, God's plan was to introduce personal baptism and also to baptise Jesus Christ. Someone had to baptise Jesus Christ. Uh, he's, uh, as uh, John acknowledges, that, uh, and we'll read that, that Jesus Christ really... <laughs> Uh, no one was worthy to baptise Jesus Christ, but he needed someone uh, to do it. And John the Baptist was chosen well before he was even born. So here, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptised of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptised of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. It's interesting how Jesus says that. Look, just do it. (laughs) You're right, but just suffer it. Just go through the process. The reason being, for thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So that there, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Jesus Christ, that did not happen before he was baptised. It happened after. And so it was all tied up with fulfilling righteousness and an example that if God told me to do it, then I do it. Um, as an as answer of a good conscience toward God. And as uh, to prove it to those around, God proved as well that when Jesus submitted to his Father's will and got baptised <clears throat> fully under the water, and this is the reason I chose this passage, it clearly says when he went up straightway out of the water. So he was fully immersed. If he was held under, he would have drowned. That's how much water there was. And that's important for us to understand because what's happened after is this idea of sprinkling and so forth. Um, It's too hard to fill up a, a, a bathtub, so let's just turn the tap on and sprinkle. It's not in the Bible. Even Jesus went fully under the water and then came up out of it. And when he'd done that, uh, the Spirit of God descended on him. It was like the seal of approval from his father. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. 
And if the Lord wants something to be done properly, he leaves us without a doubt. And that's what uh, we have here. Some scriptures to leave us without a doubt. So we don't have to question it anymore and wonder. John chapter 3 and verse 22. So that's John chapter 3 and verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptised. And John also was baptising in Anon, near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptised, for John was not yet cast into prison. So this is after Jesus was baptised, and it makes a point there that um, John was still baptising because he was not yet cast into prison. So we think from this that maybe it was the last few baptisms that John himself uh, did. But again, this place called Salem, uh, turns out it's about three kilometres west of the Jordan. And it's renowned for the fountains of water and uh, all the little lakes and so forth there. Uh, and it says here that there was much water there. Enough uh, for people to be fully immersed in. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And also, I was just thinking then, you know, uh, there are some groups that think that, well, like everything, <laughs> like the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, like it was mentioned in testimony, it's just an optional extra. Uh, there's some groups that say, oh, baptism, oh, you don't need that. You know, uh, it's good, but you don't need it. I mean, the Lord is um, going to a great extent in the scriptures to say, yep, it's needed. Without baptism, righteousness is not fulfilled. Without baptism by full immersion, righteousness is not fulfilled. And here in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Acts chapter 8. And verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert, or a deserted place. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Excuse me. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? 
Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And I'll just stop there. So this person, this uh, eunuch, Ethiopian, high in authority, but feared the Lord. He was reading the Bible. But there was no New Testament at this stage. He was reading the Old Testament. Okay? Now, Philip was living in the New Testament era. He was baptised by full immersion. He received the Holy Spirit. He spoke in tongues. Uh, This same chapter earlier uh, in Samaria, he went there. Massive outreach. Amazing uh, things there. And uh, people seeing miracles and people uh, being baptised and uh, receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Amazing things. So Philip knew all this stuff, knew things of the New Testament era. But all he had, all of the Lord's writings were Old Testament. There was no New Testament writings. And so he, Philip, then spoke to, um, I'm just seeing if his name, he doesn't it. The eunuch's name isn't mentioned. Spoke to the eunuch from the scriptures and encouraged him from the scriptures and spoke about the prophecies of Jesus Christ and all those things. And then we get to verse 36. And it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptised? So Philip explained baptism to the eunuch. He may well have explained what we read in Acts chapter 2. You know, repent, be baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. But the eunuch was convicted about how important it was to be baptised. He's saying, well, look, there's water. Why not? And that's our attitude. If someone wants to get baptised, baptised. Today is the day of salvation. And it says, uh, verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So these came up out of the water, full immersion. There was enough water there to be completely covered by the water. They both went into the water. And I also like that other little bit there, that the eunuch uh, went his way rejoicing. You know, how many times do we so see photographs of people who are just freshly baptised and freshly received the Holy Spirit and they've just got a big grin on their face? Just uh, realise something wonderful's happened and he went off rejoicing, uh, rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing in what he knows now, uh, that his righteousness was fulfilled, right with God. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Know ye not, or be not ignorant, <laughs> understand this, 
that so many of us, as were baptised into Jesus Christ, were baptised into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We'll stop there. The point making, baptism unto death. And it says buried. So this baptism in this context is a type of burial. And praise the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord, we are now dead. And it goes on uh, about that aspect. Because those that are dead can sin no more. You know, our, our, our body is dead in the eyes of the Lord. We're certainly alive in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us, this Spirit that uh, will raise us from the dead, just like uh, they raised, uh, it raised uh, Jesus Christ from the dead. But being baptism is a burial, completely under, completely immersed. And... Uh, that type is a part of our wonderful hope that if this is true, then we also will be raised up from the dead, like the Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ up. It's a wonderful hope. I was talking to someone from work about that. It's just, a, just such a wonderful confidence we have that we're not beating the air. We're, just, uh, we're here for a reason, for a purpose, and we will be raised up when the Lord returns. And kind of introducing this other aspect of immersion, we'll come up with some scriptures later, that we immerse our life in the things of the Lord. Okay? It's not a little side extra, the Lord. It's our life, our whole life. Um, You know, uh, let us not be like uh, other religions that makes Baptism and spirit and uh, speaking in tongues, just an added extra to uh, if you want. You know, we are immersed in the things of the Lord. Uh, we, we have uh, a mindset to pray to him daily, to read daily. We have a mindset to, uh, to be, to, as, to get to as many fellowship activities as possible, knowing that uh, we are immersed in these things, being built up in these things. It's our life. How do we define our life? We are Christians anointed by Christ. And, uh, and that's our primary goal. So um, Psalm 133, and this leads kind of into it. I, I do particularly love this psalm and I've read it many times, but there's this other aspect in it that I was thinking about as I was putting these scriptures together. Psalm 133. It's only a short psalm, just three verses. Psalm 133, verse 1. And it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the Jew of Hermon and as the Jew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. 
For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. The Lord really does not like uh, discord. So he loves unity. But this whole uh, description of verse 2, he sees it like this precious ointment. Now that precious ointment was the, the holy oil. And you can read um, in Exodus how they had to make it. Uh, they had uh, quite a large volume of oil, a hin, and all these spices. And it says that um, someone who was skilled in the uh, art of the apo- apothecary, <laughs> perfume makers, they knew how to brew things uh, with time and not too long and yet to, to make it properly. There was a lot of effort involved in making this uh, anointing oil. So that's the precious ointment, and it was to a specific recipe. Um, And so this precious ointment that ran over the head, down the beard, and right to the skirts of the garments. So Aaron, and subsequently after that, uh, the high priests were anointed with this precious ointment. And the oil is likened to the Holy Spirit. They were completely covered immersed in all this oil. Now, don't get me wrong, (laughs) having a shower after would be pretty hard, but it was beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about immersion. The Holy Spirit, we've been baptised with the Holy Ghost and fire. We have been immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us and lead us, um, prick us in the heart. You know, uh, um, Jeremiah 33 is, is great how it says that, uh, who will I teach knowledge? Who will I teach understanding? I'll put it in their heart that they'll no longer ask anymore, uh, this and that. We are fully immersed in the Holy Spirit, uh, this anointing oil that's precious as well. The Holy Spirit is precious uh, to the Lord, but he gives it out to those that are willing uh, to ask for it. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the penultimate scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 19. 1 Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Bought with a price. The life, excuse me, of Jesus Christ. As a result of being purchased, you know, our life is not our own anymore. Our life, the intention is, if we've been bought with a price, is that our life is immersed in him. That uh, that we have a a mind to think about during the day, rejoicing in the things of the Lord, being built up in the things of the Lord, singing choruses, however it is, reading the word, thinking about the word, encouraging others uh, as we go about our ways, talking about the Lord to um, others that don't know about the, the salvation message and the kingdom of God. You know, uh, it's, it's supposed to be our mindset. It's supposed to be our continual mindset. And um, we are, as I often say, still in this body. 
that wars against the things of the spirit. So we're, we're always trying to get that balance right. And uh, that's our life. That's our life is trying to get that balance right. It gets out of kilter every now and again, we pull it back. But uh, we, we uh, keep switched on that we are fully immersed in the things of the Lord. Finish up John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 66. John chapter 6 and verse 66. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It's worth reading the rest of the chapter chapter 6. He spoke about some very difficult things to understand uh, in a carnal sense. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. So you can imagine Jesus seeing all these other disciples that may have followed him for weeks. And then he starts talking about these difficult things to understand. And he's like, no, I don't get it. I'm going to go my own way. And he looked to his disciples thinking, are you going to support me? Or are you just going to leave me all on my own as well? And Simon Peter revealed to him, there's a few instances where uh, he uh, had something wonderful revealed to him before uh, he received the Holy Spirit. And he says, where else do we go? Where else do I go? Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. And there are many choices to us. There are many churches, many ways of uh, thinking. I mean, when we knock on doors, so often I'd meet up with people saying, I've got my own religion. I even um, knocked on a door years ago and the person said, I'm developing my own religion. (laughs) Okay, you're in the process of developing your own religion. So there are many ways. But where else do we go? We know it. We know it. We've got the Spirit in us. We are one with God. We want to hear the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life encourage us to be there when Jesus returns. And then Peter says, and we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we believe that, we know that, we are sure of that, we're confident in it, we can stand on a rock when we proclaim it, that Jesus is the Son of God and he will come back. So let us immerse our life in the things of him that, uh, that indeed we're encouraged as we continually go and follow that pathway to that end game because where else would we go?